Happy New Year. Hopefully it will be a happy new year. I don't know, I can't predict. If I would have predicted on uh, January 3rd, 2020, what what was ahead of us in 2020, I don't think I would have got it right. And so I don't know that my predictions are anything you want to uh, you want to count on. But what you can count on is the Word of God. And that was true in 2020. It'll be true in 2021. It'll always be true. Before I jump into the message, I want to say thank you to your church board and to your to you as a congregation for uh, for sending pastors Brock, both pastors Brock, uh, Pastor Lloyd and Pastor Kim, on a sabbatical leave. Uh, your church board did that because partially because it's one. Of their responsibilities. Uh, the bylaws of the Church of the Nazarene, the Global Church of the Nazarene, uh, say that one of the duties of the church board is to encourage a healthy pastoral ministry and strong spiritual life. The church board, in consultation with the district superintendent, should provide a sabbatical leave for the pastor during each seventh consecutive year of service in one congregation. The timing and duration of the sabbatical shall be determined in consultation with with the pastor, church board, and district superintendent. Uh, It's uh, critical for us to do everything we can to encourage longevity and to encourage sustained fruitfulness in our pastors. One reason that the Church of the Nazarene and other groups uh, have uh, begun offering pastoral sabbaticals is the observation that... uh, that pastoral longevity was uh, very threatened. The average tenure in one church uh, tended to be around three to four years, and the the average career in ministry for full-time ministry uh, was under 10. And uh, that was something that 10, 15 years ago, uh, the denomination decided needed to be addressed. And uh, they looked around, they learned from others, and they said, uh, maybe if we could offer a sabbatical leave periodically every seven years. So I don't think anybody does ministry for seven years just looking forward to the sabbatical, just like, that's why I'm doing this. But we are confident, and it has proven true so far, that, uh, that longevity is improving and sustained fruitfulness is improving uh, across the denomination, and we are thankful for that and believe that this may be one of the reasons. So thank you, church board. Thank you, congregation, for loving your pastor. And I'm looking forward to being here again in, uh, uh, after 21 years or during the 21st year of Pastor Brock's leadership. Imagine uh, what he's done what, after what he's done in 14 years. Imagine another 14. Uh, what could God accomplish? What could God do in a community uh, in an in a almost three-decade-long pastorate of one pastor, especially this pastor that we have? So I thank God for Pastor Lloyd and Pastor Kim, and I thank God for you. What you have done as a church over this last uh, 15, 20 years, uh, it truly has been remarkable. It's not only been a light to our community, but it's been a light to our denomination. People from all over our country look at Pekin, Illinois for an example of what a church can be and what a church can do. And that, that's not an overstatement. That is absolutely the case. So thank you for being that kind of church. Let me get to my message. Um, I want to tell you about my Uncle Danny and my Aunt Rosalie. They live in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Uncle Danny actually doesn't live in Kansas City anymore. Uh, He lives in heaven. He died uh, in 2019, December of 2019. That's just over a year ago. He was my dad's sister's husband, and uh, he was my favorite relative growing up. Um, If my other relatives are watching, sorry. Um, He had a sense of humor that was spontaneous it was loud and it was irreverent. And uh, it, it was fun for me as kind of a spontaneous, loud, irreverent kid uh, to watch somebody be able to do things that, um, 
in my dad's presence uh, that I would have gotten in trouble for, but he couldn't get on Uncle Danny uh, because, uh, because it, we were at Uncle Danny's house. And I really enjoyed his sense of humor. I enjoyed his irreverentness. I enjoyed uh, watching my dad uh, just kind of shake his head once in a while at Uncle Danny, but not be able to do a thing about it. Uh, now, I, I knew good and well, though, if I followed suit, I was going to be in big trouble. Uh, he and Aunt Rosalie raised five kids in a three-bedroom house where Uncle Danny made a living running a printing press out of his single-stall garage. Uh, he, he had a kind of irresistible will that made it possible for him to pull off some pretty amazing things. Uh, it also made it possible for him to be under, a burr under some saddles once in a while. I don't know that he was a perfect dad. I wasn't in his house every day or every week, but uh, I do know he was pretty much a perfect uncle. And even though he had his own kids and his own grandkids, uh, he treated um, myself and Sherry as if we were his own. Yeah, I went out of his way to bless us when we lived in Kansas City going to seminary. Now, why am I bringing up Uncle Danny at the beginning of this uh, message? It's because of this. He was one who was such a source of fun and happiness and joy to our family, and most of all to his wife, Rosalie, that now, now that he's gone, there's a void. He's been gone for a year, over a year now. There's an Oscar Wilde quote that said this, there are two kinds of people, those who cause happiness wherever they go and those who cause happiness whenever they go. Let me tell you, Uncle Danny was the first kind. Everywhere he went, he brought, uh, he brought a smile. He always made Aunt Rosalie smile, even if that smile came with a roll of the eye and a shake of the head. Uh, he, he, she loved to cook for him and for anybody in the family or out of the family that he would bring over. Uh, they went out of their way to uh, be friends to strangers. They always had somebody at their house. For a year now, Aunt Rosalie has been without this major source of her smiles and without this major reason to do what she loves to do, cook. So I often have wondered during this past year, how's Aunt Rosalie doing? Is she happy? Could she possibly be happy? So there's a lot of possible themes that uh, we could look at the first year of uh, a new year, the first year. <laughs> that was last year. Every, every week seemed like a year, didn't it? Uh, the first week of a new year, there's a lot of things we could talk about. Uh, you could look back on the last year. You could look ahead to the coming year. Uh, given the difficulty of 2020 and the uncertainty of 2021, I, I felt led today to preach a message I'm calling a year of abundant joy. So which year do you suppose I'm talking about when I say a year of abundant joy? I mean, if couldn't possibly be talking about last year, could I? 2020. I mean, in order to talk about 2020 as a year of abundant joy, whatever you mean by joy must have a source other than circumstances, and it must be sustained by a hope that goes beyond anything this life has to offer. Because 2020, by all reports and by our experience, was not necessarily a year of abundant joy. So we must be talking about the year to come. Or could we be talking about both? See, that's just the point. Happiness is dependent on happenings. Joy is something different entirely. Joy doesn't come from circumstances, and so it's not dependent on circumstances. Happiness works from the outside. Joy works from the inside. So maybe a year that has not been full of happy circumstances is the perfect time for Christians to be talking about joy. Andrew Murray said, joy is not a luxury or a mere accessory in the Christian life. It is the sign that we are really living in God's wonderful love and that that love satisfies us. William Vanderhaven said, joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. 
So joy is about the same thing that the gospel is about, the presence of Christ. In the Old Testament, some form of the Hebrew word for joy is used 173 times. Most of these surround God's major saving acts and, uh, of deliverance and reconciliation. Every feast that the Jews celebrated, and they, they celebrated a lot of them, three major feasts a year and then a whole bunch of minor feasts a year. And all those feasts were marked by joy, by celebration. They, they celebrated, uh, every feast celebrated a major saving act of God in their life, an act of deliverance, an act of reconciliation, and it celebrated a promise that the day was coming when God would bring ultimate deliverance and ultimate reconciliation in the age to come. In the New Testament, the Greek word for joy is used 70 times. So let's look at a few of those. Luke starts talking about joy earlier than any of the other gospel writers. In fact, only 14 verses in, uh, Luke uses the word joy. So let's look at that first instance in any of the gospels of the word joy. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This was Zechariah, who was serving in the temple. His, it was his turn. They had a rotation. And he was presenting the sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel on, at that particular shift. And, and then, so while he's in there, an angel comes to him. Still in verse 12. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. Of course, that would become, he would become John the Baptist. He will be a joy and delight to you. There it is. He will be a joy and delight to you. Stay tuned. And many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist's life was not exactly one party after another. It wasn't the kind of life that most parents dream of their kids having. He lived in the wilderness. He was homeless. He ate locusts, bugs, and wild honey, whatever he could gather from, the, from the, uh, the vegetation in the area. And he did not wear the latest styles. In fact, he didn't wear any styles. He, he came uh, preaching a message of, of warning to, to repent and be baptized. He came to prepare the way for one who would come after him, and he knew he wasn't going to get to be a part of the payoff. So he was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to, uh, to, to be saved, and, and yet he wasn't going to get to be a part of all the good that would come eventually from the one who he was uh, heralding. In fact, he said that uh, the one who would come after him is such that John was not uh, worthy to untie his sandals. John was poor, he was humble, he was a social outcast. When people who mattered finally started listening to John, once they showed up, he called them out and told them they're a brood of vipers. He ended up in prison and eventually he was beheaded and his head served up on a silver platter as part of a party in the palace. Now, in fact, I'm pretty sure that's where that phrase originated. Have your head served up on a platter. I couldn't be positive about that. I can't imagine where else that would come from. 
So do you think the promise of the angel was true? I mean, do you think that John's life brought joy and delight to his parents? The angel told John the Baptist's parents that he would be a source of joy and delight to them. So do you think his wardrobe brought them joy? I know my wardrobe didn't bring joy to my parents all the time. And I dressed better than John the Baptist. Did his, did his homelessness bring them joy? Did his diet bring them joy? Did, did being a social outcast bring them joy? Did his violent death bring them joy and delight? I mean, was the angel's promise really true? The New Testament's use of the word joy is pretty curious, not just here, but uh, throughout the New Testament. The word for joy is used 70 times, but only once is the phrase pure joy used. So if you're going to get to pure joy, you're talking about the essence of joy, unfiltered, unpolluted joy. So maybe uh, when we're talking about pure joy, we can get better at a sense of joy in the New Testament that we can really get our minds around. So when is this word pure joy used? In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It kind of makes you wonder if the New Testament really understands what the word joy is supposed to mean. In The Princess Bride, uh, one of the characters is very fond of using a certain word. And another character, I think it was Inigo Mentoya, uh, told him at one point, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. I think I'm tempted to say that to the New Testament when it keeps using the word joy in ways that don't make sense to me. In Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So whatever this joy is, it must have a source other than circumstances. And it must be sustained by a hope beyond anything this life can offer. I'm going to say that again. Whatever this joy is, it must have a source other than circumstances, and it must be sustained by a hope beyond anything this life can offer. In Galatians, we learn that we get joy from the same source where we find love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about and what Galatians is talking about. The source of joy and all these other wonderful states of being is simply the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are all fruit of the Spirit. Here's the, the, the odd thing about this is that if we aim to have a life full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we miss all of them. But if we aim to have a life full of God's spirit, of God's presence, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all come as part of the package. So sometimes our, our uh, attempts to try to help people with particular aspects of the Christian walk end up falling flat because when somebody's not very happy, they want to have more joy in their life. So we try to come up with a message to help them get more joy. And if somebody's not very patient, we want to help them learn how to be more patient. So we come up with these pointers and these tips to help them, help them be more patient. But aiming at patience doesn't get me patience. Aiming at joy doesn't get me joy. What gets me joy and the only thing that brings me joy or any of these other great qualities, these states of being, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. These are not gained by uh, directly. They're only the, indir the, the indirect result of God's presence. 
or the direct result of God's presence, you could say. The spirit of the living God is a source of joy in my life. Romans 14 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we recognize that God, what God has delivered us from, and we recognize how he has reconciled us to himself, and how he's made us a part of his family, like we're adopted, we're full-fledged sons and daughters in his family, and we're engaged we're invited to be fully engaged in his purposes in this world. And he's promised to make us co-heirs with Jesus, with his son. So we have, we, have, uh, we have been reconciled with one we don't deserve to be reconciled to. We've been brought in as full, full-fledged children of a God, we don't, of a family we don't deserve to be a part of. We have been invited to participate in accomplishing God's purposes in this world, which is way beyond what any of us could ever uh, hope to be a part of. And we've been promised that everything that belongs to Jesus through all of eternity is also going to be ours because he has made us co-heirs with his son. I mean, that's some pretty good stuff. When we realize all of that, how can we contain the joy? And, and when we consider that that same Holy Spirit who was at work to provide our deliverance, our reconciliation, and our inheritance in eternity, that same Holy Spirit is available to fill our lives with his presence. How do, how do finite human beings contain the very presence of the almighty living God? I would submit to you that we can't, and that's part of the point. It's going to burst out of us at every opportunity. The issue for Christians shouldn't be how do we muster up enough joy to get by, but how do we contain the joy without getting it all over everybody we meet? When we tap into the joy of the Holy Spirit, it, it's like a fire hose into a thimble. You can't contain it. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So here's the thing about fruit. It doesn't keep very well. You have any uh, fruit in your house that's uh, gone from maybe a little underripe to somewhere along the way ripe and now... It's beyond ripe. Two fruit from a week ago isn't as good as fruit you go to the store and get today. And joy, I think, is kind of like that fruit because joy is a fruit of the spirit. It doesn't keep very well. Last week's joy won't be as good this week. You need to stay close to the source in order to get more. And you might as well share what you have because it'll just go bad if you hang on to it. Some of us are trying to live off of last week, last month, last year's joy. We got to get a fresh supply from the source if we want our joy to be real and up to date and sweet. There's an old saying that says, a joy shared is doubled and a burden shared is cut in half. Mark Twain said, the best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer someone else up. Now, wouldn't it be something if in 2021, there was a movement of people in this world who had found a source of joy beyond the world that was so abundant that they didn't need to control or consume or accumulate anything in this world in order to sustain it. And wouldn't it be something if in 2021 there was a movement of people in this world whose eternal hope was so strong that their joy could be sustained no matter what the circumstances of this world do to them? 
And wouldn't it be something if in 2021, there was a movement of people in this world who, who did not spend their lives trying to get joy from the world, but instead contributed joy to this world that realized we actually have a source of joy greater than this world has. And so we can actually be a source to the world of everything we may be tempted to try to get from the world. See, when we try to get from the world what we can only get from God, the world ends up having less of it, and we end up having less of it. But when we're determined to be a source to the world of what we can only get from God, we end up having more of it, and everybody around us does too. So I opened this message by talking about my Uncle Danny and my Aunt Rosalie. I mentioned that I thought about Aunt Rosalie a lot this year, and I wondered if she was happy, if she possibly could be happy. Now, do you know what my Aunt Rosalie did to mark the one-year anniversary of Uncle Danny's death? This was just the first week, weekend of December in 2020. She spent that entire weekend baking up a bunch of her famous cookies and delivering them to neighbors and friends in celebration of Danny's one-year anniversary in heaven. The thought of it made her genuinely joyful for him and she's joyfully anticipating her own inheritance. And in the midst of a year of loss, all of this brings her enough joy that she has enough to share with others. And after sharing all that joy with others that weekend, I'll bet you she went home more full of joy than when she started. You see, if we can find the source and we can get filled up and we can share with others, we get into a cycle where we always have more than when we started. And that, I think, is the point. We know where to find joy. We know what to do with it. And it's a new year. So let's just get busy. Can I pray for you? Our Father in heaven, we don't know what the circumstances of this year will hold for us. We're hopeful that they, the circumstances will be good. We're hopeful that our efforts can help make circumstances better for others. But Father, I pray that uh, we would not feel like our joy, our well-being, our salvation, our eternal hope lies in the balance. I pray, Lord, that we would know so well where to find joy. And we would become so practiced at tapping into your presence, of practicing the presence of your Holy Spirit so that the fruit of your Spirit's presence would always be evident in us and through us. I pray, Lord, that we would become contributors of joy in new ways, in ever-increasing measure this year. I pray, Lord, that we would become known as a kind of people who don't have to get from others everything that everybody else is struggling and striving for. But Lord, we're the kind of people who live at peace with our God, who live in his presence and become a source of all that is good about him. Lord, we trust you. We love you. We get distracted away from you. Sometimes, Lord, we get our eyes on the blessings. You've blessed us so uh, richly that sometimes we get our eyes on the blessings so much we forget about the blesser. But this year, Lord, help us to bring our attention to the blesser so that we can be a source of blessings to those around us, blessings we could never produce, blessings we could never sustain. But Lord, may we be so in tune with you that you can use us this year to be a source 
of joy to others in ways that maybe we would not have been able to had it not been for the hardships we've just been through. Lord, we don't know if the rest of our physical lives on this earth will be easy or hard, good, difficult, full of uh, fun or full of heartache. We just don't know, but we know we love you and we know we want to be about your purposes in this world and whatever time you give us. And so, Lord, we ask that this year, whatever else happens around us, that what's happening in us would be ordered by you and that you might accomplish your will through us because we are fully surrendered and, f and fully open to your presence. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.